me all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've given me a message today about justice and why it's important to you. And I pray that you would give me the right words to convey that message to us, that we would have ears that are open to hear what you have to say, that we would know you better as the king of justice, as our good father, that we would be able to follow you more closely. Amen. So as some of you might know, I used to work as a solicitor before I became a stay-at-home mum. That was my job. I worked for almost 10 years in human rights law. So from hearing that, and also I know that Izzy's got a background in studying law as well. So from hearing that, you might think, oh, well, that's, um, that's what's on your heart. That's what God's given you a passion for. That's your subject. Um, and yes, it is my subject and it is my passion. But today, I want to give you a glimpse of God's heart for justice and why, and to explain why it's something that should be on all our hearts, something that we should all be interested in. And yes, there will be some of us that think, yeah, actually, I really have a calling from God to do something about this. But actually, all of us need to take an interest and to sit up and listen And I want to show you that justice is actually one of the main themes of the Bible. Every so often in your Bible reading, you might come across a verse that talks about justice, that uses that word. But actually, it's one of the main overarching themes. And I hope to show you that. Um, My kids have got um, a Jesus storybook Bible. I don't know if you've seen that. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And then it's got a little sort of tagline, like a subheading, which says... Every story whispers his name. And it goes through, when it has the Old Testament stories, it links Jesus in and explains why it kind of shows Jesus in this Old Testament story. And actually, I want to tell you today that every story whispers justice in the Bible. So we're going to put on some glasses today, some like lenses, lenses of justice, and look at the Bible through these lenses to give us a new perspective So what is justice in the Bible? Well, quite simply, it's about making the wrong things right. God is the author of justice. He created it. And every justice system is based on um, the, the very bedrock. Let's decide what's wrong and what's right and create a system to make wrong things right. And in the Bible, when it's talking about justice, Justice, it mostly refers to restorative justice. So it's not just about retribution, like paying the consequences for the wrong things. It's about restoration to God's design, how things were supposed to be when God created the world and everything was very good. So to give you an illustration of the difference between retributive justice and restorative justice, imagine that there's a guy who's been convicted of um, GBH, some kind of serious assault, like wounding with intent. Retributive justice would just be like he just gets a prison sentence to pay for his wrongdoing. But restorative justice would include rehabilitation courses in prison to teach him how to use his words and not violence. That's what I say to my kids, use your words. Um, it would include education and maybe a, a reconciliation meeting with the victim to apologise. 
And actually, our British justice system was kind of originally based on biblical justice and the Ten Commandments and, and what's right and what's wrong. So all justice systems have to be based on a baseline of what's right and wrong. And our modern justice system still tries to make wrong things right, but now it's a really complex system of punishment and compensation. And it's difficult because really only God can make wrong things right. But we're taking quite a broad definition of justice for the purposes of this talk. It's about making the wrong things right and about restoration to when things were very good. So first of all, I want to give you a glimpse of the big picture, the whole Old Testament. Um, and we're going to take like a whistle-stop tour through the Old Testament and talk about justice and how God envisions justice. So first of all, yeah, so we've got this picture here, the whole of the Old Testament. Um, we're not going to go through every book. But first of all, we've got Genesis right at the beginning when God created the world. And God's creation was very good. And part of that was that everyone had enough. Now, obviously, in the beginning, there was only two people. There was, like, abundant fruit and veg, and so obviously they had enough. But everyone experienced justice. The, the men and women that God created, humans, they were set apart from the other animals as the image of God with a right to dignity and fairness, and they were all created equal. It was very good. In God's plan, there was no injustice and there was no poverty. The people lived in right relationships with God, but also with each other. And then we have the fall where the people um, turned away from God and wanted to do things their way. And in Genesis 6, it says this, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. So we see that violence is the opposite of God's plan and a result of the fall. People were taking an advantage at the expense of others and were no longer treating each other as images of God. And then, basically, throughout the Old Testament, my picture's gone, but throughout the Old Testament, it's about God sending one person after another to address the consequences of that, to address the consequences of the fall, and to do justice, to bring about restoration to when things were very good. So we have Abraham, Joseph, Moses, the judges, the kings, the prophets, all lining up, being sent by God to address those consequences and calling for justice. When God started his new family with Abraham, he set them apart to live lives of righteousness and justice. Abraham was declared righteous by God. He believed God and his faith was credited to him as righteousness, it says in Genesis 15. So he starts this family setting them apart to live in righteousness and justice. And then, as we know, they were enslaved by the Egyptians, and Moses came and they were freed from slavery and oppression in Egypt. But then they started to become oppressors themselves. They started to take advantage of the vulnerable, to give themselves an advantage. And then we come to the law of Moses. God gave Moses these rules 
And actually, they were to help his people live in justice and righteousness, to live in right relationship with God. You know, we talk about that quite a lot, the, the sacrifices of atonement and things like that, how God gave them rules of how to live in righteousness with him, in right relationship. But actually, there are lots of things in there, lots of provisions about how they can live in right relationship with each other as well. So, for example, there were provisions for debts to be cancelled, for slaves and servants to be freed. It says that they shouldn't um, get any profit on food when they sell food to each other, and they shouldn't charge interest on debts. These laws called for justice. They were saying to the people, live the right way, in right relationship. Deuteronomy 15 in particular, it says, at the end of seven years, you must cancel debts. It says, there should be no poor among you. It's calling them to live differently to the other societies around them. And then Deuteronomy 16, God says, appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. Follow justice and justice alone. So this is God's law. He's saying live in right relationships with me, but also with each other. And then we have the judges and the kings who led the people. Some of them weren't so good, but the idea was that they would lead the people to live lives of righteousness and justice. But, you know, God's people were slow to heed the message. So we get to the prophets, and God says one after another to declare that Israel are living the wrong kind of lives. They're not living in justice. One after another, and the people don't listen. There's so many, and they just have to declare God's judgment over the people. So, for example, in Jeremiah... In uh, chapter 22, verse 3, he says, This is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who's been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the alien, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. It's not actually talking about aliens. It's talking about people who are foreigners from outside of their community. And it's saying, do what is just and right. And still the people don't listen. And we get to Micah, one of the minor prophets, chapter 6, verse 8. This is perhaps um, the most well-known, the most famous verse on justice in the Bible. And it actually used to be the verse um, that the Lawyers Christian Fellowship used to use when I belonged to that group. And they had it on all their stationery. And it says, He showed you, O man, what is God, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But why did Micah have to say that? It's because the God's people were conforming to the law. They were, they were doing the things that the rule set out for them. But they were hypocrites. In their hearts, they were, just, you know, they were just following the rules. But in their hearts, they didn't love mercy. They weren't walking humbly with God. And they didn't want to do justice. They didn't want to care for other people. They needed a change of heart because they had empty religion. And actually, these days, I read it in a different tone of voice from how I used to read it. That, oh, man part, I feel like it's like God going, oh, man, like, come on, how many times do I have to tell you? He's shown you, God's shown you what is good. 
What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? It's like he's going, duh, I told you, I told you how to do it, come on. (laughs) And then we come to Jesus. Jesus is God's answer to finally address the consequences of the fall. Jesus brings reconciliation, redemption, and restoration, true restorative justice, to restore things to how it was meant to be in God's creation when everything was very good. So we're going to look at when Jesus announces this kingdom of God in Luke 4. And I'm just going to read to you from Luke 4, 14 to 21. And now we've done our overview. We're going to zoom in on Jesus. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is declaring that he's the Messiah. He's the one that it's about when he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's the one to bring the kingdom of God. And he tells us what kind of kingdom it is and what kind of king he is. And it's worth noting, actually, that we've already had a bit of a clue before Jesus' arrival. So John the Baptist came, declaring that the kingdom of God is near. It says in Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In modern language, he's saying, change your ways, guys, the king is coming. And in Luke 3, um, about the same thing, the crowd say to John the Baptist, what should we do then? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. He's saying, change your ways, guys. The king is coming and he's a king of justice. Do the right thing because he is going to put the wrong things right. Justice is coming. And then we get Jesus saying, I'm here, I'm the king. And he's talking about freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and release for the oppressed. And actually, all of those things bring justice. They all have an actual kind of physical application and also a spiritual element. 
So in our culture today, when we pray for each other, when we're praying about freedom and release, it's not usually about freedom from actual physical chains. We're praying about freedom from um, spiritual oppression, um, from lies, from the chains of addiction, um, from death. But also, there are people in this world who we need to pray for real physical freedom, people who are in chains and people who are physically oppressed with violence. So you do see that there's like a physical, actual application and a spiritual application too. And with sight for the blind too, we're very used to praying for people who need physical healing. But Jesus is also talking about bringing things out into the open. And that is part of justice. You know, Jesus said that he was going to bring light into darkness and bring what is unseen out to be seen, didn't he? And there are parts of our justice system that are like that. They're called inquisitorial proceedings rather than adversarial. And it's about finding out the truth about things. So like a bit like a coroner doing an inquest. Let's find out really how this person died. Let's bring the truth out into the light. And if you think about the Grenfell inquiry recently in the news, it's about finding out the truth. And that's part of justice too. That eyes would be opened to the truth. So all these things that Jesus is listing, you know, the king is here, I'm going to do this, this, and this. He's saying it's a kingdom of justice. Justice is here. And I want to say to you that this is the whole point of the kingdom. You might feel like it's an added extra and like some people are called to to work for justice, like Izzy or like when I was working as a lawyer. But actually, it's the whole point of the kingdom, not an added extra. We have received ultimate justice in Jesus' death and resurrection. Someone has paid for our sin, and it wasn't us. That's ultimate justice that we get to be restored to God. He took the punishment for our sins. But it's also about making wrong things right now in this lifetime. The kingdom of justice is a kingdom in which people live in obedience to the righteous rule of God. And those who surrender to his rule and authority experience his kingdom now. And you know, in the Psalms, in Psalm 89 and in Psalm 97, it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. They're part of God's character and they're what his kingdom is built on. And Psalm 45 gives us a picture of Jesus as king. And it says, a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. He holds it in his hand. It's part of the picture of Jesus as king. So in the passage, it said, um, hang on, let me just go back to it so I can tell you properly what it said. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So why is this particularly good news for the poor? It's good news for all of us, but we see in the passage there's a special application for the poor. Well, it's because the poor are the most vulnerable to injustice. Let me say that again. The poor are the most vulnerable to injustice. There's an intrinsic link between poverty and injustice. That's why at the beginning when I was talking about Genesis, I was talking about, you know, there was no poverty. Everybody had enough. I recently read a book by Brian Stevenson called Just Mercy, and he's a lawyer in the States who um, works with people on death row, um, 
to help get them um, freed or to get them off death row. And he talked about how most of his clients came from backgrounds of poverty. Because the opposite of poverty isn't wealth, Brian says, it's justice. The opposite of poverty is justice. And did you know that there are people living in this world today that have no protection from the law? They live outside the law, they have no protection from the police. There's four billion people outside the protection of the law. I, I can't even picture that number. If they try to call someone when something bad happens, no one will come. There's either no police force or the police force they have are so corrupt that um, if they bother to turn up, they'll be wanting bribes, they'll probably side on the side of the perpetrator. People, there are people in poverty who live outside the protection of the law. They have weakened justice systems due to corruption, lack of resources, poor training. The authorities don't know how to uphold justice. And poverty and desperation leads to violence. We've seen in our, you know, in our human nature, people use oppression to make money when they're desperate. They take advantage of the vulnerable. And also, people in poverty, it can lead to really poor decision-making, like borrowing money from someone they really don't want to be in debt to, or sending their children away because they just can't afford to feed them. You know, there are families who um, get promises that their child's going to be taken away to a big city to go to school, and the child ends up somewhere that is not a school. There are over 40 million people today in modern slavery. Did you know that's more than at any other time in history? Like, we thought that um, the slave trade was abolished, but actually there's more slaves today than at any other time in history. And 99% of those people are in the poorest countries in the world. You know, we hear about modern slavery in this country, and we see on the news um, people getting prosecuted for enslaving others or um, sex trafficking children. But the reason we hear about those cases is because, the reason they're in the news is because we have a justice system that deals with it, and there are people looking for people in slavery in this country. But 99% of people in modern slavery are in the poorest countries in the world where they have no access to justice. And did you know that one in four slaves is a child? And there's a child sold every two minutes in this world. Like, that's quite mind-blowing, isn't it? Because we know, don't we, that kids don't belong in um, brothels and brick kilns and, you know, places like that. They belong in schools and playgrounds and in families. So Jesus brought healing and justice in his lifetime. But is the kingdom of God still good news for the poor? Is it still good news now for those who have no protection from the police? Well, a couple of months back, Tim talked about this passage as well, where Jesus proclaiming his kingdom. And in um, the bit in Isaiah 61 that Jesus is um, quoting, and Tim was talking about how there's three voices speaking here. If you don't remember, I really recommend that you go back and listen to that sermon on the catch-up on the website. We've got the voice of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, where he's proclaiming, what God will do. He's prophesying, and the method that he used is personification. He's personifying the one he's prophesying about. So it's like he's stepping into the Messiah's shoes, 
saying he has sent me, but he's talking about Jesus, and it's a style that Isaiah uses now and again. And later on in that passage, Isaiah 61 verse 8, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. This is the reason he's talking about these things, because I love justice. And then we've got the voice of Jesus, who proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he did those things in his lifetime. He healed people physically, bringing sight to the blind, putting things back, restoring them to how they were meant to be when everything was very good in creation. But Jesus also called out injustice, like when there was a woman caught in adultery and he was like writing in the sand to stop them from stoning her, he called out injustice. And the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, he was like, you know, you give your herbs and stuff to the temple, but you don't do justice. He actually called them out on it. And Jesus brought us ultimate justice, defeating the enemy to restore us to God. But whose is the third voice? We've got Isaiah and Jesus. The third voice is us. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. We are called to do what Jesus did and more as the body of Christ. Justice is here, the kingdom in us. It's not just one or two of us called to do justice. It's our voices, all of us collectively. Justice is here. And it's about making other people's problems my problems because they are images of God. They are made in the image of God and God loves them. And that's what Izzy's doing. She's making other people's problems her problems because she's living a life of justice and righteousness. And it's about really loving your neighbor. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. That guy, he, he made the person who'd been robbed, he made his problem his own problem. He was, that's really love, isn't it, you know? And so often in our world today, people ask why God allows so much violence, corruption, and injustice if he's a just God. Like, if he's good, why are there so many people in slavery? But I think sometimes he throws that question back at us. He's repeatedly told us how to live lives of justice and righteousness. He's told us to give to the poor, feed the hungry, way back in the law of Moses, you know, like don't charge profit on food, don't charge interest on loans. He's given us detailed guidance on how to live lives of justice. So what can we do? What can we do about it? You know, there's a, very, there's a very local response within our church family. You know, in Acts chapter 4, it says there were no needy persons among them when it's talking about the early church. They lived lives so radical that they looked completely different from those around them. The authorities really didn't like it because the church showed them up because they cared for their poor. So if there's someone in need among us, we should be doing something about it. And in our community as well, we're called to show compassion for prisoners, for the homeless. We're called to have soft hearts, not religion. Like Micah said, didn't he? Look, the Lord's shown you what he wants, to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And we also need to support, honour, and encourage people in jobs in the justice system. I can say that because I might be going back to my job as a lawyer in the next few months. Um, but our police officers, our lawyers, our social workers, our probation officers, let's support and encourage them. Because, you know, if they went, went to work for the church full time, our community would, it would be to the detriment of our community because justice wouldn't be doing, being done. 
But also, there's a bigger response here. As Dale said, we're looking as a church at partnering with this charity, International Justice Mission. They strengthen justice systems around the world, as well as rescuing victims of slavery in the poorest countries. And it's really necessary for us to partner with a bigger global organization to affect governments and justice systems. We can't do it as individuals or even as the local church. So we have to partner with someone who can do it. We had a visit last year from a guy called Andre Sorchenko, who um, works for International Justice Mission, I think in the Philippines. And they're having like a huge impact on um, child sex trafficking over there. There's been like a real decrease because of the work they're doing, because um, they gather evidence and help to prosecute the perpetrators. So then other people are deterred and think, I can't get away with this anymore. And that's what we want to see around the world. Because, you know, we have quite an effective justice system. People moan about it. But the UK justice system is ranked 12th in the world by the World Justice Project. They've got something called the Rule of Law Index. And I think there's 126 um, justice systems ranked, and ours is 12th. And the maximum score you can get for an excellent justice system is 1, and the UK justice system is 0.8. So it's, it's pretty good. But around the world, there are justice systems that are failing people. So in September, Sunday the 22nd of September, we're going to join with IJM for something called Freedom Sunday. And there'll be churches all over the country and actually all over the world where they're having a Freedom Sunday too, where everyone stands together to shout, justice is here. And I'd really encourage you, if this... If this gets to your heart like it gets to mine, I'd really encourage you to look at the IJM UK website and you can sign up for prayer emails. So they'll send you, I think it's monthly, um, they'll send you little summaries of what's going on in various countries around the world and tell you what you can pray for. Because, you know, they're the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world, but their teams get on their knees before God and ask him to go with them, because they, you know, they know that before they go and knock on the door of a brothel, they have to knock on the door of heaven and say, God, would you go with us? So I'd really encourage you to get on board with that. Let's join in with what God's doing through them. And Paul and I also want to gather a group of people who have a heart for this, that you would come and pray with us, and that we would seek you know, the Lord's guidance for what he wants us to do as a church. So if you want to sign up for that, come and let me know. I will put your name down. And um, in the new academic year in September, we'll get together and um, we'll pray and we'll see what God has for us. But yeah, I just want to encourage you to have soft hearts about this. And I don't expect all of you to come along and pray with us when we meet, but Let's all have soft hearts and know that this is God's calling on us as his people, all of us, to have hearts for justice and to see people as images of God that have a right to equality and to be free and that he has brought a kingdom of justice. Thank you. If you'd like to stand with me, I'd like to um, maybe invite Tim back. Yeah. And we'll um, worship God and Dale will lead us in some kind of response. Thank you.